Today on the show is Michael Shea, a longtime Access producer at Arlington Independent Media. Being one of the hardest working and most prolific producers that I know, he's notorious for producing two or three programs at a time. You pick up the paper and it goes, Mary Brown, longtime civic activist, uh, dead at 98. And you read about her and you go, wow, she had a lot of time for a lot of things. I thought, well, I should interview these people and before they're dead, obviously. <laughs> Michael Shea has recently made a shift from full-time economist to full-time video freelancer. You should leave a workplace if the most common phrase that plays out in your mind is, really? And you should stay if the most common phrase is, really? All right, this is cool. You know, uh, Media on the Radio is a podcast that features conversations with media professionals. Everyone from creators of media to those who do the marketing and distribution. This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening. You know, it's funny, what you major in sometimes, you then are just, particularly when you've got student loans to pay back, uh, you're just kind of looking for, okay, what can I do to make money? And um, you take something, and that leads to something. And So I think I had a pretty normal economist path. I worked for a federal statistical agency for three years, kind of got that experience. Then I worked for a consulting firm, then I worked for a bank. And when I started studying economics, I studied economics because at that time I was not thinking about law, I was thinking more about journalism. And what I was realizing when I was 20 years old or 19, I really don't know what economics is. So it was, and in fact, the first economics class I took, I got a C in. I think I thought I should study this because I don't know it. And if I want to be, I want to be sort of a political journalist and I need to know economics. But then things happen. <laughs> so you, you say you kind of took a pra almost a pragmatic uh, next step after your master's you you took a kind of a pragmatic step was was there though you know in the back of your head like a dream job that you know uh, if if practicality aside I would do x was there anything like that it's hard to say it's been a long time uh I I, I felt like though because it was pretty intense it was a one-year master's degree and I um felt like I worked pretty hard it was over at the London School of Economics and got back to Connecticut where I'm from and I can remember that summer almost feeling a little bit like blank a little bit in terms of what I wanted to do I think I had a dream job of going back to the journalism and I kept thinking well I better do the economics though to to learn it I never was able to as an economist to make that leap to being sort of an economic journalist I guess in some ways that might have been the dream being able to tell stories that way after college you're raising your family. You're, you're living in Washington, D.C. or Arlington, Virginia, right outside. And then what brings you into the media field or creating media or oh, being yeah. a producer? I had a weird um, relationship with television. I was watching in the 1980s very little television. I mean, I, and I'm not even trying to say this like, oh, television was so bad that no one should have watched it. Um, I think I was watching because it kind of fit my schedule. But... 1990s, living in New York, not totally happy with my economist job. And I just started uh, being caught up in different television shows and things and thought, I, it'd be fun to write for these. So I wrote out a bunch of scripts, you know, um, actually found an agent in Alaska <laughs> who I don't think was a serious agent, <laughs> but I just was writing all these agents. And he said, yeah, I'll represent you. And that, it, it all went nowhere. You know, I mean, I had some fun nights of, you know, writing a draft of a script, an hour-long television drama, and inviting, you know, 30 people over to the apartment, and we'd all, I like, hand out scripts, and we'd all read, and, you know, 
in college, I, I did study communications, but I never thought I would get into television or media. I was really focused on writing, actually. Yeah. So I'd write short stories, I would write scripts, and I had a whole folder in my computer of just you know hundreds of different scripts and poems and short stories. And I never thought, you know, I would get into like actually working with the camera and that sort of thing. Um, and I got actually pretty good at writing for a period of about six months where I was writing every day and I was, it was able to really polish things. But it wasn't, it was almost became like an exercise where it was like, okay, I'm, I keep writing this, but it's not going anywhere. It's, yeah. you know, it's just going to, but, but then I started to hear these stories about how people, how screenwriters, the lifestyle that they actually live, you know, and this, this constant like rewriting and trying to pitch and trying to sell and peddle their scripts, when in reality it's not very a very glamorous life. So that's kind of when I, I transitioned into what would it take to, to make uh, a movie from one of these scripts? And that's what literally got me into to more video and shooting and editing and that sort of thing. But I don't want to, I don't want to let this conversation go. You mentioned uh, you were writing a lot of poetry at mm-hmm. that time. So is, does that poetry survive? How do you, do you still survive? have it? Oh, yeah. You have it? Yeah, I have it. Have you shared it with people? Um, I did have a poetry <laughs> class in college. Uh, okay. No, but I mean, people that people that are close to you now. I mean, like, people yeah, yeah, in your I've, life shared, now. I've shared it with some. Right. That's, you know, that's, I forget who said it, but it's uh, poetry is was meant for one reason to woo women. I, forget. <laughs> it was, I think it was in Dead Poet Society or something like that. Yeah, but, that you know, once right. once you uh, once you find a uh, girlfriend or wife or whatever, there's kind of no purpose <laughs> to poetry anymore. Um, well, it's no, I'm just I'm yeah. just teasing. You did a lot of writing, and then you first started producing things at Arlington Independent Media. At what what time? What 2000, 2003. So you you had already been kind of very active by the time i started working here which was 2007 oh yeah Yeah. and i remember (laughs) i remember the Liebowitz show which has since been retired Um, but i remember that was that was kind of the premier late night talk show that arlington (laughs) independent media had can you talk a little bit about what the show was and oh yeah uh it, it it got retired um by the math uh, I did 40 episodes, and I thought 40 is a good number. The original idea of the Leibowitz show was that we would do a different genre of show every episode, and it, the premise would be that this character, Oscar, was sort of getting his show, and it would just kind of just be terrible, and, and it would be canceled or he'd be fired at the end of each show. So it would give us a chance to sort of do a parody of different genres. So that was a lot of fun. And then, then it sort of went into more of a um, traditional variety show where – I don't know how I got to 40 episodes, actually. <laughs> there was no, there was no like big chart of, of a story arc or themes or like, well, we'll do this and this and this. Somehow about three years went by and we had 40 episodes. When I first got hired in 2007 at Arlington Independent Media, I had moved down to D.C. from Pittsburgh. There was a learning curve for me, but I learned really quickly and through the network and through the AIM staff most of the skills that I have, I can attribute to, to working here. What, what I want to kind of get into, and maybe a little bit later too, is that change between, okay, you're doing this as an amateur, or you you don't have a necessarily an agenda. You're you're trying to have a good time. You're trying to be creative, but then wh- at what point does it become something that you really take seriously? 
it was definitely to become professional in the sense of not necessarily you know have a long career but do work that gets recognized that you feel like you're proud of and find a way to sort of make some money from it so that it can be something you're doing and not you're not having to um, squeeze in on weekends or whenever you can get some time off at work and use use of your vacation time and all that yeah I did feel a little bit different because I wasn't I was 43 when I started doing or 42 when I started doing stuff around event media so I wasn't the person who think, okay, you know, you're going to do this for a few years and then you move to LA and then, you know, or you move to New York. And it really was trying to think, uh, wow, we, that was really good. You know, we, that is something I think everyone involved with it should be proud of. And, um, yeah, there've been times when I think that's true and it's not obviously every project. Having watched you over the last, you know, almost eight years, I find, um, how prolific you are and then also just in terms of your leadership quality um, that's what makes your your productions and and how you've evolved so strong is that that it's a rare quality to find where you can make people feel really comfortable but also have a vision in mind that you can execute so i would say um that's something i've learned from from watching you no thank you um but also i want to hear from you about the evolution from comedy which you've started off doing oh yeah changing genres into into doing things like policy matters right right or uh, in conversation part of me always wants to always wants efficiency in the sense of you know if we're going to get cameras out and we're going to uh get you know particularly particularly when you're getting people to volunteer and not when you're paying them because for some reason i feel more um protective or i mean for more i feel like it's more i worry more about asking someone to be there for eight hours if they're volunteering there if I'm paying them. Anyone who's gonna would fund me would probably go, Oh, you'd be so you'd be so careless with our money. I'm not gonna fund you now. <laughs> but so I always think, okay, we're gonna do all that and we're gonna get a half hour program out of it. You know, is there anything we can do to get also get a five minute program out of it? Is there anything we can do to get a you know, a one minute? Can we get a can we get a can we get a PSA out, you know? So what I realize about D C, what's unique about D C is it is like policy, it's a policy hub. Anybody on any topic related to anything eventually has a conference in D.C. I just thought it was that's that's what in Arlington we have. We're across the river from that. It was a mayor's conference in D.C. Um, in January 2009, and I realized if I can get permission for them to set up a camera and a light in the lobby, off to a quiet side, I can get in touch with these mayors and say, "Can you give me five minutes?" And so we interviewed five mayors in about in less than an hour from across the country would do a little research and I'd say, okay, oh, Cambridge, Mass, you're doing, you've got this uh, emissions program you're trying to do, community emissions program. Arlington is in the middle of doing a community energy plan. You know, let me hear from the mayor what the community would find that interesting. And I guess it was realizing that that was, that actually was fairly easy to do if you sweated the details of making the emails and saying, uh, can the mayor stop by our camera and can do this? And so that kind of got me going on policy matters. Civics, the idea with civics was, I find it really interesting that there are a lot of people in any community that put in a lot of time, totally behind the scenes. Or they do or they do other things. They serve on commission and all that. And usually you don't hear about them until they're dead. <laughs> you pick up the paper <laughs> and it goes, uh, you know, Mary Brown, longtime civic activist, uh, dead at 98. And you read about her and you go, wow, she had a lot of time for a lot of things. I thought, well, I should interview these people and before they're dead, obviously. And, <laughs> and 
I started, you know, getting the studio together and then uh, would book like three people. And I would interview all three of them. Boom, 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 right after another, you know. There was one time we did that where by the third person I was, you know, didn't know who I was, let alone who they were. So then I thought, well, I like, I like this sort of a topic, but why don't we try to come up with a talk show without a host? Because, again, it's probably, it's finding people that will come in and volunteer can be hard. And so I decided, well, I won't, I won't try to have to find a host. I'll just do a talk show without a host. So we did in conversation, which you match up two to five uh, people who have a shared expertise or experience uh, or just even just enthusiasm. And you get them together and they talk for a little over half an hour and you've got a show. What I'm curious about is you have done really well and so prolific and creating all kinds of different programs, mm -hmm. but that serve the Arlington community and fit so well within AIM's mission as well as programming for the Arlington community. What would be a vision, though, then for outside of here? If you if say, you know, for whatever reason, some big hotshot producer comes down and gives you three hundred thousand dollars. What would you do with that money? And it has to be used for producing something. What would you do? Is this one of those reality shows where at the end you, you give me a check for three hundred thousand dollars? Is that the, is this the prelude to that? And we renovated your house. Yeah. Well, I'm doing that. I, 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 that's a whole other a whole another story. Um, I mean, I have some feature film ideas, so I guess I would I'd want to go in the feature film direction probably. Um, I could go in the TV sort of episodic direction as well. What would be the genre if, if there was one? If I had to go on, I'd, I'd want something like a dramedy. You know, it'd be like that crossover. Um, mm -hmm. If I have more than one opportunity, then I, you know, focus on one, focus on one. But what I've learned is I would either, in terms of writing, directing, and acting, um, I would only do two of those three. If I direct, I would not act. That's actually the main moment I'm focused on. That's what I've learned. It's really hard to do, I think, because I've done that. And it's just hard as an actor to ignore being a director and, and I've enjoyed it so much more when I'm acting when someone else is directing or I'm directing and I'm not acting you had told me a couple of weeks ago that you had quit your job <laughs> what was the the catalyst for quitting and, and then trying to take on freelance work you should leave a workplace if the most common phrase that plays out in your mind is really really we're doing that now really um, and you should stay if the most common phrase is really all right. This is cool, you know. Uh, but, but I wasn't getting that kind of good reallys. Um, I, I'm not sure I'm going to stay in in this freelance uh, video world. I'm still considering and perhaps pursuing some opportunities more of like what I'd been doing, different place, different issues. But what gave me the confidence to sort of make that leap was uh, well the support of the family, and also thinking no, I, I feel pretty confident I can land somewhere else and I can give freelance video work a try uh, so I was feeling that was really the important thing feeling like I uh, you know this is not going to be a disaster um, well, so you, far it's not you also have had over 10 years experience working in media yes in yes form. yeah when did you start doing freelance for pay professional video work and how has it been going? So before I left, left the day job. So about a month after I started asking around, I had a job just one day for working camera at an event, which was a conference in D.C., which was the kind of conference where in my AIM life, I might have been a volunteer outside with a camera trying to get 
the uh, the experts talk to me. And in my day job life, I would have been an attendee at the conference. So uh, it was on it was on development and world hunger issues. So I was over at George Washington University, and I'm looking around the crowd, going looking for colleagues. You know, like who have I? I mean, I wasn't looking with my camera. I was following the camera, the the director's call. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to probably run into a lot of people I I knew from work last week. Um, so anyway. <laughs> You said that you've you've gotten now directing gigs. The key thing is to remember that in any situation, there's sort of the technical side, which you don't need to know everything. You have to be you have to know it. You have to there's a critical mass you have to know. But you know if you're going to show up and they're going to have you work on a camera that you've never seen before, but you got to remember it's still a camera, and so they might you might need some coaching as to where this button is and that menu is. But then even more important is just the working with totally different personalities because where I've been getting freelance work has been with two companies and they're kind of different. And so it's been interesting to see, but I know I, my ability to operate well within each of those two different corporate environments has been important. And also the client relations is important. And you have um, a lot of experience cl with client relations, yeah. I assume. Right. And what would you say then as kind of a final sum up um, as we finish out, what advice would you give to college students that are interested in working in media or maybe even video production in a corporate setting? There is a critical mass of technical knowledge and you want to gain that. So you want to be, you want to know, you want to know gear. You want to know the camera. You want to know how, you should learn as many aspects as you can. And, and, and you should remember that you're learning technical knowledge and that the subject is irrelevant for technical knowledge. If you hate sports, if you're bored by sports, but sports is your best chance to learn how to use a camera, shoot the sports. You know, just it's like remember what you're trying to do there. And then the other side of it, my advice in my own thinking is um, it comes down to storytelling. You know, it, it really does. And if you can build storytelling skills, build them. And again, do that even if you're not using a camera or you're not using a microphone. Just have that be where you build your, your skills. It's tough because so much is changing, but I think that in the end, those those two things kind of remain the same. You know, you, it's really understanding the basic concepts about the gear, and it's it's understanding working with people and telling their stories. And so, the human and the technical side are still kind of boiled down to the human and the technical side. I think you have kind of a tacit knowledge of professionalism <laughs> and and how to interact with people on, on a daily basis. But do you see uh, something? You know, a way to interact on a set that that is that is more better than. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, you um, you know, you got to try to pick up the vibe of the set. And I know for different projects, as it's just my own personal experience as a director, I will. There's some projects where I will have a pretty loose hand on it. You know, well, what should we do now? You know, you 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 turn to the crew and you go, well, what should we do? Uh, even if I've written the script, is like I suddenly realize, oh, that just doesn't work. So. But there are other situations where I might be more like, okay, take the shot, you know, do this. I mean, just we need to do it that way. You gotta you gotta pick up on that vibe, I think, pretty quickly. So that in the cases where things are a little bit looser, you do it's not just like, okay, I'll still just kind of stick to myself and listen to the direction very carefully. If the situation is looser, you wanna be looser. I mean, you wanna be contributing. That means that whoever's in charge is looking for some creativity from you. Um and other situations where it really is more like, okay, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened, uh, you go along with it. You know? 
I had a conversation with somebody, a, a networking conversation, and I was, you know, I just want to figure out, you know, what are the skills that I need next for the future when when this industry changes in the next two years, you know, <laughs> and and he said the important thing is that you that you know you're not done, you know, right, and I think right. that that is a because this industry moves so fast and changes so fast. Talk about a, a you know a lifetime of learning. It's you know it's I feel like I'm behind. And I've only been in this industry five, <laughs> seven years, so it's uh, it's it is one of those things where you're you're just constantly catching up, and that's that's just part of the nature of it. Yeah, it really is finding that comfort zone between I know enough that I'm not feeling down or depressed about it, but I I I don't know enough that I'm I'm pushing myself and I'm learning more. So it's it's finding your wave. It's really like it's like riding a wave rather than like finding a level. Yeah, and I, I think that's true. I, the The point I felt like I was, and it wasn't when I started at AIM, it was at some point later, that I felt like I was an actual professional. It was not that I was making money on the side as a freelance and I was making money working at AIM. It was the fact that I wasn't, I was able to sleep the night before a, a shoot, and wake <laughs> up and not be stressed out and have a, just a base level confidence that, that, that the thing was going to go okay. Right. And that I would be able to handle whatever technical or otherwise issue. And then that's where you can finally really play and, and you know, right. actually create and not not be so overwhelmed with the process. Right. So I think uh, that's it, the the belief that you will get there is is right. kind of what the journey is about, I think. Right. And, you know, practically speaking, realizing that um, everything's going to uh, you know, you're going to come up short in everything you do every project and you the key is can you figure out how you can make it better next time and then you take those steps mm-hmm. um, this is what people should look for when they start to get gigs if you, the gig gets done and you're like getting something to eat or maybe you're just getting a ride back from somebody if someone who you've worked with ever says eh, so how do you make that better next time you know listen for those kind of things and try to work with those people because they're they want your input and they are trying to make it better and that's what it's all about that's good. All right. That's it. That, yeah. was, that seemed famous. Yeah. <laughs> the show is recorded at Arlington Independent Media, or AIM. If you live in the Washington, D.C. metro area and you want to get involved in media production, check out arlingtonmedia.org. There are countless ways to get involved, like volunteering on programs, taking classes, and producing your own media projects. This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening. You can find new episodes of Media on the Radio. Visit arlingtonmedia.org.